There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the your the information about your business into one dashboard this is incredibly valuable netsuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting financial management inventory hr into one platform and one source of the truth about your business with netsuite you reduce it costs because netsuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required access from anywhere you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. Chris Ullman has had an amazing life. First, he was the world whistling champion. He won it four times. Second, he was basically the head of PR and communications for many successful, huge politicians, presidential candidates, governors, and advisor to several billionaires. He's in most notably... He worked for 18 years for David Rubenstein, who runs the Carlisle Group. He's been on this podcast quite a few times. And Chris just wrote a book, Four Billionaires and a Parking Attendant. Lessons he's learned from all these different billionaires and politicians and lessons he also learned from a parking attendant. But prior to that, he also wrote a book called Find Your Whistle. And it's his adventures on the way to being the world whistling champion. So we talk about both topics. It's part one and part two. The first part is basically how do you be the best in the world at what you love doing? Whistling is not easy, and being the world champion at any art form is not easy. We talk about that. Then part two, we talk about four billionaires and a parking attendant, and the stories are incredible. At the end of part two, Chris also whistles for us. 
So let's start off with becoming the world champion at the thing you love doing. That's part one coming up. And then part two will be the next podcast. And it'll be all about lessons he learned from the billionaires and a parking attendant. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. So, so Chris, we can really almost do two podcasts with you. One is <laughs> you were the world whistling champion several times, many times, which is an amazing thing in and of itself, and I want to talk about that. Also, you have a book that just came out, uh, Four Billionaires and a Parking Attendant. And you've worked with all these billionaires and gotten great life advice or life learnings from them. And also a parking attendant in the parking lot where you often parked. So yeah. <laughs> both of these books are amazing and you've had an amazing life still having it. I honestly don't know where to start. So let's start with whistling. You, were, you, you started whistling at the age of five. How does someone even become world whistling champion? Well, James, thanks for having me, first of all. It's, it's a real honor to be on your show. And so my father was a good whistler. And, you know, so much of it comes down to, can you whistle? And it's very binary. I've met a lot of people in my life who just cannot whistle. They go, nothing comes out versus that coming out. And so I'm able to whistle. And then, you know, since I, I do public relations for a living, I, I, I think in talking points. I'm able to whistle. I love to practice. I'm competitive. I'm good at arranging music for my instrument, the whistle. Um, I'm a bit of a showman. Uh, and uh, and I, I found the International Whistling Competition uh, back in, oh my gosh, 1993. Competed nine times, won it four times, uh, came in second a few times. And it was a great run. And uh, I don't compete anymore. I just perform and and I also whistle happy birthday 650 times a year for people, which is uh, I call my birthday a whistling ministry. Why do you whistle uh, happy birthday to people? Uh, I want to honor their lives. And you know, what's so interesting about happy birthday is usually you, you sing it for your family or your colleagues if you're in an office. But I actually get to insert myself into the lives of 650 people and bring them these like little packets of joy. Like I just did three, literally like five minutes ago, I whistled happy birthday three times and I, I recorded on my iPhone uh, a little um, little voice memo and I just texted to them. And then people write back these amazing notes. They say, you made my day. My, my day wouldn't be complete if I didn't have a, a whistlegram from you. And so it warms my heart. And, you know, I, I'm just convinced that we need to like stop thinking about ourselves and think about other people. You know, if every day I have to be nice to someone through whistling, you know, it's good. It keeps me humble. And, you know, as you describe in the book, the, the, your, your kind of domination of the whistling world, if you want to call it that, and, and you know, it takes a lot of practice. You have a huge repertoire of, of songs you could whistle. You obviously have the talent and the skill, but you had to do a work at the skill. I'm curious the process of becoming a whistling champion, it's really a champion at anything, but for you, whistling, the process of becoming a whistling champion, world whistling champion, do you think that helped you 
career-wise, and I'm asking in two different directions. One is because everyone's impressed that you're the best in the world at something. And number two, because of the discipline it took to become and the, the way of thinking it takes to become the best in the world at something. Yeah, you know, that process of like coming up with this idea saying, wow, I'm a pretty good whistler. Maybe I could be the best one day. So like it actually sets you on a journey. So I mean, first it's a mindset. You have an objective. And then day in and day out, you have to figure out how do I get there? You know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And this applies, as you just said, you could be a violinist, a trombonist, or a hedge fund manager like you. <laughs> and um, so you have to think, you know, what is it going to take to get there? And with, with, so with whistling, it is, for me at least, it was a combination of making sure I had uh, a really wide range. In my peak form, I had a, over a three octave range, which is a pretty wide range. And then the capacity to arrange music for your instrument. So I, I can listen to you know, a Beethoven symphony and I have to figure out, you know, a lot of notes going on there. I have to figure out how to catch the tune or the main theme. So I was very good at that. And, you know, just being relentless. And, you know, my new book, um, Four Billionaires and a Parking Tendon, there's all these people in there, they are just relentless. They set their sights on something and just go, go, go. And like, I did this crazy thing in 1996. I was training for the uh, training. It really, you really do for the um, international competition. And of course it's so training. I got my what, what, wait, I'm just curious. <laughs> why, did, why did you almost seem a little ashamed when you said the word training? Because people, you know, for years, people have said to me, do you practice? And I used to be insulted and I would say, what do you mean do I practice? How can you be good at anything if you don't practice? But I realized that people think whistling is just a silly little thing and why would you have to practice to be good at it? So I've actually become a little insecure about it. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that. I want to I ask you about that like, because, because many, many areas of life can seem frivolous, right? So let, let's say some people think whistling is that way. That's the, that's the reaction you got from some people. But also taking a, you know, inflated ball and throwing it through a net as many times as possible in a 60-minute period. That could be considered frivolous too. And yet, you know, some people make 80 million a year doing it. So who's, I always wonder about this. Like, yes, some recreational activities are considered frivolous and some are considered worth, worthy of 80 million a year. And, and, you know, the, the NBA has 10 billion in revenues a year. So, so money has sort of like set the bar on frivolity and, and, yeah. and yet there's nothing to, to some whistling is musical. It's creative. It's very difficult. There's nothing that makes whistling more frivolous than basketball, other than the fact that it's a 10 basketball is a 10 billion dollar industry so we take it a little more seriously somehow i'm just curious if there's anything yeah like no you you and those are very good points what's happened with the challenge with whistling which is why people kind of put it in the the, the frivolous category or the novelty category is that there is not a lot of music written for whistler now that may that may sound strange but it's it helps legitimize an instrument. I mean, if you want to, uh, if you go to the classical music catalog, there's tons of music for violin and trumpet 
and cello, piano, but you'll find almost nothing for Whistler. So for example, I, I reached out this years ago to 50 orchestras and said, I can whistle Mozart's oboe concerto. Can I perform with you? And two of them said yes, but 48 of them completely ignored me. And it's because it's, they're used to hearing the Andy Griffith theme song or men catcalling women. And so there's been this group of us who've tried to like, legitimize whistling and take it from novelty to art. And with some success, I mean, I've whistled with 12 symphony orchestras um, and I had other whistlers. There's this guy in the Netherlands uh, named Hirt Chatru, who's arguably the best whistler today. I mean, he's whistled with many orchestras. So there's a small like, little contingent of us who are tr- taking it to the next level, but we don't have all that infrastructure. We don't have the music written for us. There aren't whistling schools. So we kind of train on our own. And you'll actually find that most whistlers are good singers because they actually learned how to make music by singing. And then that is very transferable to whistling. That's interesting. I, w- I wouldn't think it was because I feel like you could have a sense, you could have a sense of, what's it called when you uh, have perfect, oh, perfect pitch. Perfect it pitch, like it's e- yeah. It's easier to have correct pitch with whistling, I would think, than singing, because uh, the vocal cords connection to the brain it seems like is not as fast. No, no. If you if you have perfect pitch, you you can hum a note, you could sing a note, you could whistle a note. It, it really has, or you could get a, a trombone and play it if you know how to play a trombone and hear you know get to the right note. So um, I don't have perfect pitch. I have what I call a kind of perfect relative pitch. Like once I'm in the right key, I can stay in the right key. But there are people who you can say to them, hum an A flat, and boom, they can just hum it in the absence of any reference point. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there and it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, 
Good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, if you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And, you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important. And I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So again, people ask if you train. Going back to that, like people ask if you train. And of course, (laughs) of course you train quite a bit. Like what was a, and by the way, I definitely, we're going to get to the four billionaires and a parking attendant as the main uh, but I, I am just fascinated by excellence because it's very, very difficult to be the best in the world at anything. And what was your training regimen like on a daily basis? So uh, I usually whistle around two hours a day. And then I would do crazy things like get in my car and I drove to Graceland once for a week and whistled for six hours every day for seven straight days. And the reason is that, you know, A, you want to practice your music, but B, and perhaps more importantly, you have to get your lips in shape. You, you may be familiar with the, uh, the French words called embouchure. And it, it, it actually has to do with the, the shape of and the conditioning of your lips to play a wind instrument. It could be a, a trumpet, uh, a clarinet, or any wind instrument. It's the same thing with whistling, is that to a pucker is not a natural position for your lips. So when you take this kind of complex musculature and stick your lips out into this very precise shape and then try to sustain that for minutes on end, I whistled Mozart's oboe concerto. It's 22 minutes long. If your lips are not in tip-top shape, you will, they will get tired quickly and then you will lose the, the perfect positioning, that embouchure, to be able to sustain the note. So that's why conditioning is so important. Uh, and then and in practicing your actual song. Like right now, I'm, w- I'm working on Hummel's Trumpet Concerto. Um, I'm, doing, I'm performing it with the Alexandria Symphony Orchestra um, wow. later this year. So I, I know the piece well, but I have to get my lips in good shape. And so it's going to be real exciting to perform classical music with an orchestra. And when I perform with the National Symphony, I mean, this is a 70-piece orchestra at the U.S. Capitol in front of 65,000 people, and you are immersed in sound. It is it's probably one of the most exquisite experience of my life to have an orchestra enveloping me with sound 
and then 65,000 people in front of me, and then the U.S. Capitol lit up behind them. Nothing will ever touch that in terms of this confluence of cool things. Do they have um, a part written where you get to solo whistle for a few moments? Yep. Yeah, so in that particular song, it's a song called On the Mole, which was written in the 1920s, uh, and it's a march. And so I, pref- and it's written for Whistler. It's one of the few pieces out there ri- actually written for Whistler. And uh, so I performed it. And the really cool part was that at the end of the concert, they brought me back and I taught the audience the song. And then we performed it again. And, and I conducted this mass w- whistling group of 65,000 people. And uh, that was cool. And it's a really catchy tune. And uh, people loved it. I mean, that's amazing. Like, on the one hand, we talked a little while ago about, you know, how you felt insecure about, you know, is whistling worthy, a worthy endeavor to spend thousands of hours on and compete in? And yet, look at this experience it created for you. Like, let's say, let's say one thing life, you know, everybody debates, what is life about? Oh, be a good person, be a happy person, do this, be be a successful person, whatever. But maybe life is about creating these amazing experiences and how many people I can count on one hand, maybe people who have had an experience at that level of amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I count my blessings every day. I never could have predicted or anticipated what whistling has allowed me to do. I mean, I've whistled in the Oval Office for the president. I whistled at major league baseball and basketball stadiums, the national anthem. Uh, I, I even whistled, this is totally freaky, at the top of the Washington Monument on the outside, 555 feet in the air, um, and and then whistling happy birthday for people, done TED Talks. It has brought me more joy than ever imaginable, and which is why I, just, I count my blessings every day that this has happened. Now, I've worked, yes, I've worked hard, and I've made a point of getting good, but you know, life is strange and you never know when crazy things are going to happen. So you, you've got to kind of revel in the moment. You know, my, my life philosophy is that, you know, it's not the destination, it's the, tr- it's the trip. You know, that's not, you know, you know, other people think that too, but that is, I've embraced this philosophy since I was like 13 years old. And that's why you must, must kind of revel in the moment. I mean, there's always an eye towards the future, but the moment is critical. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. I, I go back and forth on that, on what you just said. It's the, it's all about the journey and not the destination because a lot of it is actually about the destination. Like you had a goal, which was to win the grand competition for, for whistling. I feel that the, the destination, A, it sets the path of the journey. So it defines, the de- destination defines what you do on the journey. Like if you're going on a quest for the Holy Grail, Okay, you've got to get out. The knights of, of King Arthur's court had to get on their horses and travel the world and seek out information about the Holy Grail. It set the, it, it created the journey. And when you won the competition, that was probably you probably felt better that moment than in any given day training for the competition. Well, you're you're totally right, and you know they are opposite sides of the same coin. Arguably, is that. Having, you know, and the, the big part of a big part of the new book is about purpose, you know, having a destination you're going to, because I think having purpose 
gives us you know, something to strive for. So I agree with all of that. You know, and having worked for some of the most successful people, uh, you know, in business and politics, they all have purpose and, and, a, and an objective. All right. So I agree with that. But the challenge is when today slips away because you're so focused on tomorrow. And so in a perfect world, you have purpose. You know, yes, I want to graduate from college with a good GPA. That's a great purpose to have. But there are, you know, there are a thousand school days between today and that day. What are those thousand days going to be like, you know, until they hand you that diploma? And if, you know, if you're fixated on when I pay off my mortgage, then I'll be happy. Or when I graduate, I'll be happy. Or when I retire, then I'll be happy, which can dominate the way people think, you know, that's dangerous. So they're not mutually exclusive. Like if you had never won the, the, let's say you had always come in second and third and you never took first at the competition for whistling, um, would you have written the book? on whistling that you wrote. So, so the book I have here is, uh, find your whistle. Yeah. Um, no, probably not. Mm-hmm. So even though you, you know, would have been I, the second best whistler on the planet, <laughs> <laughs> number two sucks. Well, there, there is a fixation in our culture and maybe it's the human condition for the best. And so I do appreciate that. And, you know, I am the kind of person that even if, it had not been, you know, you know, the, the pinnacle of whistling that I would find purpose, you know, have that objective, but then revel in every moment. I mean, yesterday I, I met a security guard in an office building who helped me, you know, figure out the elevator. I, you know, I had a little fob and all that. I couldn't figure it out. And now I know her name. She has a beautiful smile. And she said, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. And it would have been so easy to view that as just this fleeting transaction of I need to get in the elevator versus a human with a name, with a beautiful smile, who actually is looking forward to seeing me tomorrow. That matters. And arguably, the accumulation of those types of moments matter even more than, you know, these bogeys that you're shooting for. I mean, just yesterday, my eight, 17-year-old daughter said, oh, Dad, she's a little shy. And she said, I want to be more like you and just talk to strangers. She said, you can learn a lot. I see you talk to strangers all the time. You learn so much. I say, yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're not going to be best buddies necessarily, but you just never know. And, you know, that, those things matter. They, they, I mean, you can argue how much they matter, but I think they matter a huge amount. And I mean, and arguably you're a, I mean, not arguably, you are a trained communicator. Like you've, this is what you've done for billionaires for, for decades is you've been their right-hand man when it comes to communicating and, and getting their word out there and their message out there and their goals out there. And it's been your job to talk to strangers and billionaires and presidents and, and so on. And, and again, we're, we'll get to that in a second. You know, what, one more question I have, and, and again, this is related to the frivolous aspect because I am fascinated by that pause that you had. When you were training, but before you won, was there any point 
where you felt like you had to justify to your, I don't know, your wife or your family or your friends or colleagues or work colleagues that why you're spending hours a day doing this? Like you must have, did you feel bad at any point during that process because, hey, I should be making a billion dollars and not whistling? Well, thankfully I was single at the time because I could barely tolerate listening to that much whistling. <laughs> and when I did that Graceland pilgrimage, the six hours a day, I was single and alone in, in the car. Actually, my wife doesn't even let me whistle around the house very much. She thinks it's fairly annoying. So if I were, <laughs> were married with children um, and then I discovered this competition, I don't know if it would have worked out. So it was, it was kind of yeah. providential that I was single when it happened. Well, what about though, like you're just your friends? Like, like for instance, in my 20s, yeah. uh, I left graduate school in computer science because I wanted to be a writer. I was writing all the time. And like any form of communication, it takes a lot of years actually to be a good writer. And, uh, my friends and parents thought I was completely insane. Like they really thought I was mentally ill for, for leaving one of the best graduate schools in computer science where my career was set. If I got a PhD there, as opposed to doing something completely, who knows, most people don't succeed at writing. And I was not a good writer at the time. So, uh, I had a healthy dose of Dunning Kruger bias. So I thought I was good, but I certainly wasn't good. So, so I had to constantly question myself and, and answer their questions about why I was doing what I was doing. So I'm glad you brought up writing as this, and I'm going to juxtapose that with the whistling. See, there are, there are tons of people who call themselves writers, and right. most people are used to reading things. It could be the newspaper or, or books uh, or billboards. All right. So if someone like you says, I'm going to be a writer, a lot of people are going to say, oh, you know how hard it is to be a writer. Why would you bother with that? Now, with whistling, so I say to people, hey, there's a whistling competition. I'm going to try that. People are like, whistling? That's really freaky. That sounds cool. Let's hear it. So there are just so few of them that people are kind of uh, drawn to it and view it as novelty versus the writing, which is you know, kind of a dime a dozen. That doesn't mean you're not a good writer. But a lot of people say, I'm going to go be a writer or I'm going to go go to Hollywood and make my fortune. But very few people say, I'm going to be a champion whistler. So people are more fascinated by it than poo-pooing it. Yeah, I agree. And I think people don't realize how difficult a skill it is to write, for instance. So everybody with a word processor now becomes a writer. Oh, you posted an article on Medium that got 20 likes, now you're a writer. And uh, people don't understand that, mo just like in anything, most things are bad. So most written material is not good writing. It, like, I always look for great, great writers to inspire my own writing, and it's very, very hard for me. Like, it's thousands of books I have to look at for every one that I find that, oh, this is going to inspire me to, to write. And, wow. um, it, 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 you know, and this is over 30 years of writing almost every day now. But uh, uh, I would imagine you're right. With whistling, like when you told me, oh, you're a world champion whistler, I was fascinated. If someone said to me, oh, I'm a world champion writer, eh, all right. <laughs> but <laughs> ah, no, that you, probably that's, exactly, see, that's exactly it. Now, interestingly, whistling is it's very binary in terms of who likes it and who doesn't. So 
So I, I was in an elevator once with Newt Gingrich when he was the Speaker of the House and my then boss, who's John Kasich, who was governor of Ohio and ran for president. And Kasich says, Newt, Newt, you got to hear Chris Whistle. This is, it's amazing. Newt wouldn't even look at me. He completely ignored Kasich. Then Kasich tries again. He's been on the Tonight Show. He's been on the Today Show. You got to hear him whistle. Nothing. So there are some people who just think it's so, so freaky. They, they want nothing to do with it. And then other people, you'll say to them, hey, I'm a whistler. And they're like, they, their eyes light up. And this is what happened with the National Symphony. I, I met one of the conductors and a friend of mine said, hey, Chris is a champion whistler. And she's like, whistle for me. So I whistle a song. And then she's like, hey, you want to perform with the National Symphony Orchestra? <laughs> said, yeah, let's do it. So that's, it's very binary there, too. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. The lesson really that I, I take from this is that excellence opens doors. And it opens unusual doors in, in many ways. Like, so I'm very much into chess. I'm a competitive chess player. I'm not like the best in the world, but I'm doing something unusual, which is that after a 25 year period where I did not play in tournaments, so I'm, I'm a ranked chess master from the nineties. Then I stopped playing for 25 years in order to have a career. Wow. And now I'm on a quest to be as strong as I was in the nineties. And Wow. Just going on this quest has opened so many doors and adventures for me. Like I was invited to go to Amsterdam next week to just watch this tournament with the organizer and of, of, among the very great players are playing. And, but, and I can imagine for you being the best in the world at something, excellence opens doors and it's worth it to achieve excellence in something regardless of whether other people consider, you know, its status uh, in the hierarchy. Now, of course, if you were the best basketball player ever, that also has a significant monetary gain. That's the door it opens, but excellence in anything has, has benefits. I think it's very well put, you know, uh, whistling doesn't pay well. So I, I've always had a day job, but that in itself has made my whistling career even more interesting. You know, so here I am, I'm at the Carlisle group in his big global private equity firm. My phone rings. It's the founder of the firm, David Rubenstein. He says, come to my office. I walk down the hall and there's Ted Leonsis, who is the owner of the Wizards and the Caps or whatever they're called these days, the hockey team. By the way, and he said, he's been on the podcast. Ah, oh, good. He's an interesting guy. I've heard him speak. So David says, whistle for Ted. <laughs> like, okay. And like a kind of a pet monkey. It's like, hey, you come over here and whistle. 
And uh, so I whistle, and then Ted says, hey, do you want to whistle national anthem at a Wizards game? So you were right. It, he, he heard it, he liked it, and that opened the door. And, and that's why I just count my blessings. Like, all these crazy things that have happened. Uh, and yeah, they continue to happen. You know, I get to perform, go, go on TV, go on podcasts. And, um, you know, and so it's been, it's been great. Last question about it. Like when you, so at one point you had won the championship four times and you, you, you stopped for a while. And then five years later, you went back to try to win again. Was, was it, and I'm asking this almost selfishly, but did you, as you age and as you get a little rusty, do the training techniques change through time? So other whistlers have more sophisticated training techniques of who start now or does aging result in some decline in ability? Like what, what did you experience when you tried to come back to it? So I, I understand why you're asking this question as you seek to regain your, your, your chess status. And yes. so what I, what I realized then and, and now too is that there is an accumulation of ability. It could be chess ability. It could be whistling ability that it there's a certain baseline you achieve because you're doing something all the time. And then you may step it up if you have a competition or a performance, but, you, but your baseline is already high. When you take a break, your baseline falls so low that to get back up just takes a lot more than you would think. It's less about age, I believe, and more about time. So the, the key is, putting the time in. So, it, it, you know, if the National Symphony called me tomorrow and said, we want you to do some like really big concert in six months, I could get back into like tip-top form if I whistled two hours a day for six months. It would be hard because I've got a busy consulting business. I've got books and I've got children. Uh, I like to ride my bicycle. So, and I got to keep my wife happy. So there's it would be a challenge to jam it in there, but that's what it would take. And I, I suspect it's similar to you. you. You probably have to go go back and just play. You have to, it's like, if I want to be a good whistler, I have to whistle all the time to get the lips in shape. And I assume you have to keep playing and playing and studying the books and the moves. And For some things, and maybe music is not one of these things, or maybe composing music is, but not playing music. I don't know. But But like, you know, as you age, you're not as, sharp, like your thoughts aren't as fast and, and your memory is not as good, but your ability to do pattern recognition and intuition goes up. So performing music, maybe you're able to kind of like, oh, I'm going to add this bluesy sound to this classical piece. And like, you're able to kind of uh, assimilate other, other things and put them together in interesting ways, which you wouldn't be able to do maybe when you were younger. But some professions benefit from age. So like peak age for a historian is actually 69 years old, whereas peak age for a mathematician is 25 years old, where you would require more sharpness and more memory and, and, wow. and so on. Whereas a historian can say, oh, this event from Afghanistan reminds me of this one battle in World War II. So you have this huge wealth of knowledge and an ability to kind of like put them together in interesting ways that you didn't have when you were younger. And, and that's something that sort of happens in your, 40s and 50s and keeps growing. So it's interesting. I love that point. And I love the point about adding the little bluesy thing because I am doing that 
with this trumpet piece. I've, hmm. I'm improvising in a few sections. Uh, I haven't told the conductor yet. I'm hoping he will be open to it. Uh, to say, listen, I'm, you know, the key with great music and, and great writing, you could argue, is you have to make it your own. You know, there's no, if it's hmm. cookie cutter, people are going to say, all right, I, I've heard that before. I want to make it distinctive. Um, like, for example, I, I listened to, um, uh, so Vladimir Ashkenazi is one of the great pianists of our day. And he's a conductor now. And then his son is a clarinetist. And I listened to his son play uh, Mozart's clarinet concerto the other day. And it was his. This He embraced that piece like I've never seen before. All these little curls and twists and things that he added to it that I'd never heard that I thought were appropriate, but so unique. And he made it his. So in that, that's the way to do it, I think. So I'm going to try to do that with this trumpet piece to really make it mine. Uh, that I, and If anyone in the audience knows the piece, they're going to say, well, I've never heard it done that way before, but still think it's appropriate and enjoyable. That's such an important point in a variety of ways that to make something yours. So like, I think like it's, this is very important, by the way, for employees at a job. Like if you work at uh, a, a company, there's usually a history, a culture, a culture of the product of, you know, whether is this a luxury product? Is this a, uh, a, you know, kids product? Is it a, you know, like, like I used to work at HBO very briefly and HBO, you could tell if a show is HBO or if a show is ABC, like there's a difference. And I feel when employees really are able to say, this is our product as opposed to this is my company's product. Like when they really kind of feel the philosophy and culture and, and make it their own, that philosophy, then they, they succeed as employees. Like Carlisle Group is a very different kind of private equity group than Blackstone. And I'm sure you feel the nuances, what makes Carlisle and David Rubenstein different from, for better or for worse, Steve Schwartzman and Blackstone. Exactly. When I tell people about when I either teach writing to young people or kind of developing your own brand in the marketplace. I'm, I'm all about saying, you know, understand you as a product, understand your craft as a writer, but make it your own and, and be distinctive about it. You know, not, not just to, you know, be a peacock that's all flash, right. but to do it with purpose so that the distinctions add value in some way. You know, one of the big distinctions with Carlisle was that we said, people like working with us more because we're not your typical sharp-elbowed New Yorker. Now, Blackstone people might have bristled at that, but we thought it was true, and that was the feedback we got. Because in the end, they have buckets of money, so do we. They have buckets of MBAs from Wharton, Stanford, and HBS, so did we. So like, you had to have a differentiator. And we thought it was our culture of actually being nice to each other. Now, that has changed a lot since I left. Uh, not, for the, not for the better, but I think it's on the mend now that they have a new CEO. But that's a whole other subject. One thing I was going to ask you and, and maybe even suggest to you, so take it for what it's worth, you should make TikTok videos doing pop culture covers of uh, whistling of like every, like, like do Hotel California uh, whistling, do uh, a cover of some great rap song whistling. 
I bet you that would you would get like millions of uh, not that you are interested <laughs> in this, but I get you like millions of of views and followers and so on. Like I would listen to, I would subscribe to an Instagram channel that was all whistling covers of like my favorite songs. You know what? What's fascinating about what you just said is, it, you know, it's all about time allocation. And, you know, even, I don't know how much money you made on your book, but making money on a book is difficult. You know, unless yeah. you're Walter Isaacson writing about Elon Musk. Um, so I'm, I'm always weighing, you know, I get paid well as a consultant. So every, every hour I spend consulting for corporate America, I make tons of money. Every hour I spend working on my next book, I don't make a lot of money. But I get great satisfaction out of creating, creating the whistling book, creating this new book about the billionaires and the parking attendant. Um, and money is less important to me now than 60 years old and financially secure. Uh, so uh, you know, I, try to, I, I try for a balance but to get specifically to your point about like TikTok and social media is that I tend to avoid social media because it is a rabbit hole. Because people say to me, how do you have time to write a book? And I say, well, I don't sleep that much. I don't watch TV and I don't do social media, which actually frees up a lot of time. Yeah. And, and I don't mean to be judgmental. If social media is your thing, that's fine. But the odds are, if you spend a lot of time doing that, you're probably not going to write a book. But if that's not your thing, then, hey, that's cool. <laughs> It, it, that was more selfish request because I want to listen to some rap song being whistled. So that would, that would, I would just love to, to hear stuff like that. Wow. I really was fascinated. I'm always fascinated in what it takes to become the best in the world at something you love, or even just to excel at something you love, which is very, very difficult. But Obviously, it's an incredible story. If you want to hear Chris whistle, stay tuned because in part two, which covers his latest book, Four Billionaires and a Parking Attendant, first off, you should pre-order the book or order the book on Amazon. Second, part two is amazing. Stay tuned for it. And at the end, he whistles. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.